Hello and welcome to EG Property Podcasts. I'm Jess Harold, and on this episode I'm joined by a panel of leading barristers and solicitors to discuss the impact of mental health and well-being when it comes to the operation of our planning system. Uh, so first, uh, so that our listeners can get to know each of your voices, uh, may I just ask each of you to introduce yourselves, uh, starting with Tracy? Oh hello, I'm Tracy Lovejoy. Um, I am a senior associate at um, Irwin Mitchell's Planning and Environment Department, and uh, so I've come across um, this topic a lot. So this is really interesting. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Joanne? Oh, hi, everyone. I am Joanne Fraser. I'm a partner at Irwin Mitchell, and I specialise in cost protection matters, mainly assisting clients who lack capacity to manage their property and affairs. And again, very excited to be part of this podcast today. Thank you very much. And uh, Rachel? Hi, I'm a junior barrister at 39 Essex Chambers um, and I practice across planning and public law. So these issues sort of sit between my practice areas. And last but by no means least, uh, (laughs) Selina. Hello, everyone. Um, My name is Selina Cahoon. Um, I'm a senior junior at 39 Essex Chambers together with um, Rachel. Um, I have specialised in, in, in planning and environmental law for more than 20 years um, and now and again questions of mental health have come up and in, in particular in the case that I've been dealing with with Tracy and, and Rachel and um, it struck us that this was a really important issue that hadn't got much attention really mm. and, and therefore I'm really pleased that, that, to, to be part of this conversation today. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure it will uh, be widely listened to and, and hopefully get people sort of uh, talking more and thinking more about this important topic. So um, to start with, can you uh, talk me through some of the ways that mental health issues can affect uh, people's engagements with the planning system and, and how in turn the planning system can impact on people's mental health? Um, I'm happy to kick off there. Um, obviously, a wide range of planning can be stressful and Um, whether or not you're a planning professional but even if you are a planning professional the planning system can just seem very uh, delayed uh, costly and subjective and maybe subject to the whims of people like uh, uh, objectors and and planning officers Um, we've come across compulsory purchase that's obviously a very stressful process when you suddenly find out that the government has a right to take your house Mm -hmm. um, and that 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 often brings out a lot of um you know mental stress and and can also trigger a lot of vulnerabilities in people because people are you know we, we all have issues and and have different issues to deal with the planning enforcement system i've come across that's both a lot of stress from objectors who may see a development as quite distressing to people who are subject to the enforcement system who see suddenly the um uh, enforcement face of planning that can cause people to be quite obsessive, become quite ups- upset, quite distressed. Um, uh, and similar with objections to planning applications, you know, people can feel um, treated unfairly, they can feel persecuted. And with enforcement notices, sometimes I, I find vulnerabilities can affect um, whether or not people are um, complying with planning or, or, you know, can affect them in, in ways that are even more linked to what we'd call mental health, um, you know, disorders. And if anyone else wants to um, <laughs> kick in. Yes, I mean, I, I agree with everything that, that Tracy said. And, and the 
it is unless you specific, specifically start thinking about it, um, it it really is something that runs across a lot of uh, um, in, inquiries uh, uh, and indeed obviously when you get to to the high court that those who are new to the system and have never been in court or never been to a public inquiry before are frequently and not surprisingly very very frightened of the process and mm. very very nervous uh, and um, I, I remember you know as a pupil um, it being drummed into me that when you are attending an inquiry on behalf of you know whether it's for the applicant or, or for those who are resisting the, the, the proposal that it was very important that you were you understood that those that the public who came were, were very you know were very worried about it and that you you should not be you should not take that for granted mm-hmm. and therefore um and, and all of life is in planning people to, people come to 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 public inquiries who uh, you know, have have every kind of, of of issue that we all have at home, uh, and and it's and it's very important that uh, that the process can be in- inclusive, especially to those who who do clearly have more extreme mental health issues, but are entitled clearly to be part of the process. And it's a very difficult thing unless you are aware of it to respond to and I think that's part of why I think we wanted to have this conversation today because uh, unless you do you make planning not a public process and it is a public process so those are my thoughts. I was just going to comment on it from the other the other well from the I suppose from a completely different angle when I support my clients through planning it is actually the initial process of applying to the local planning office mm-hmm. because the clients that I work with and support have an acquired brain injury which is usually as a result of a negligent act so it might be that they've acquired it through a road traffic accident or a medical negligence issue and often they will have um not just uh, mental needs but they'll also have physical ailments that that property needs to be adapted or extended to be able to meet their longer term needs in terms of having a support package in place or therapeutic input within the home or just enable them to live with their family. Mm. So I have to spend a lot of time trying to explain the process to my clients about why we have to apply for planning. So why we can't just extend or adapt the property. They find that frustrating because they've just mm-hmm. been through quite a you know, significant life changing event that all of a sudden their life is upside down and they just want to get on with living their lives. But yet we have then the time frame um, that we have to work within through the planning system. And then, you know, Ultimately, if we don't get that planning, then it's extremely upsetting and distressing to the client and their families. But to explain the process to an individual that has a lack of capacity, it, it's difficult. And the information available online is is often not that user friendly in terms of somebody who may not have, um, you know, a very in-depth understanding of what's involved in that process. So I suppose that's the angle that I come from in respect of matters. Um- Obviously, the, 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 there can be a wide variety of different types of uh, mental health illnesses and, and disorders and, and issues, and I, I imagine they they must uh, affect in different ways um, the, the the provision of legal services and the availability of legal services in, in planning as much as in other areas of the law. I think certainly that's right. Uh, the the uh, if 
it it is not always the case but clearly joanne's experience is very very interesting to hear because um uh, i could say that i i have very rarely had to deal with an applicant who themselves has um, identifiable mental health issues although recently have been doing so it is interesting to realise that actually the, the local authorities, local planning authorities themselves are not really set up to be aware of that. Um, I don't know what, uh, I mean, I, the, uh, you know, Rachel and I have, have been involved with, with Tracy on this matter, uh, and, and it, it, uh, but also Rachel clearly has other experiences through court of protection workers as Joanne. And I wondered, you know, the, it, it, it was striking to me um, in some of the experiences that I've had, that, that local planning authorities themselves um, are not uh, are not always aware of of the sorts of things that the authority, as a as a you know as a wider authority with a wider responsibilities, can and should do. Um, uh, and I, um, that may be something that Rachel wants to comment on. Yeah, it's. It is a, a difficult area and I have you know, a degree of sympathy with local authorities who, with their planning hats on, aren't necessarily um, thinking about these sorts of issues. But uh, quite rightly, um, that sort of response uh, gets fairly short shrift uh, in, in court or um, when dealing with people directly because local authorities are subject to various statutory duties. And it is um, important that they bear that in mind and, and where necessary, do um, bring to bear a degree of joined up thinking about the different ways in which their uh, statutory obligations might be relevant, um, even in a field like planning, where they're not necessarily expecting it straight out the doors. One of the sort of obvious interactions um, is the interface with the Court of Protection, which Joanne's been talking about, um, both in terms of clients who experience a life-changing uh, accident or injury of some sort and end up with acquired or traumatic brain injuries, um, but also people who lack capacity to make decisions about where they're going to live and need accommodations for other reasons. There's a, a host of reasons why that might be the case. And um, I think one of the difficulties is not just making that information about what the process of making adaptations is going to require in terms of engaging with the planning system, not just to the person themselves, but also you know, family members who might be supporting, um, often also have already gone through a sort of lengthy process in the court of protection um, to get a decision about where somebody should be living. And then the idea that there's another legal process now involved because you're in the planning system, mm. Mm. Um, obviously it can be quite a lot to take in. Um, and so that's one of the major areas of intersection. Um, the intersection with the CARE Act and obligations uh, under the CARE Act 2014 and duty to assess needs, I think is something we're going to come on to. And more generally, things like the public sector equality duty and just keeping all of these um, in mind. Um, and it, it is a lot for local authorities, mm. a, a weighty task. Um, but these are the tools um, and obligations that they need to be thinking of, I think. Mm -hmm. And as Tracy mentioned at the outset, I mean, dealing with the, the planning system, whether it's applying for planning permission or, or taking uh, action to challenge uh, a decision that you, that you object to, it, it can be daunting mm. for anyone, but 
you know, <clears throat> particularly challenging for for someone who is perhaps vulnerable or, or, or suffers from mental health problems, or or their carers, their family members, if if they are required to to represent the interests of, of their family members. So, what are some of the particular practical problems that, that are encountered uh, when interacting with a, a client who, who's facing those issues? I think for me, and you know, I've dealt with learned to be conscious of the mental state, like Selena was saying, of clients mm. um, who come to you. But obviously, when it goes beyond stress that can be handled for whatever reason, sometimes it takes a while to discover this. Um, and you're going through your your de- your details and then you start to pick up signs mm-hmm. and you've got to be very conscious anyway when you're speaking with a lay person uh, or, or any other person that's not in the planning system that they're understanding your advice um, and Joanne has said how she's got to explain things to them and perhaps if she sent it you know if, if, if the planning department may be used to dealing with people who are more able to understand the planning system so that's um that, that those are two things one the, the fact that it takes a while to um under, to realize that this is happening and and really them understanding your advice is 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 crucial and then you can come down to issues of they have difficulties reading your advice and mm-hmm. you, you you don't actually know that and that would be a sort of learning disorder literacy um type of problem um and then and then you start getting into sort of maybe repetitive and obsessive behavior that starts to affect the you know the cost that are being racked up and and um, progress in moving forward so these are just really practical issues that can come up um you could have somebody who comes back on the same point and you have people who are obsessive about a point either that's their personality or they're, they're obsessive about this point so you've got to deal with that in in that sort of mental space or you have people who just give up and say right whatever you say the system's against me I'm too tired um to fight it so it's it, um there other other issues um like that um and again there's an additional challenge with dealing with somebody where this you know the fact that they're struggling mentally in a way that's maybe they can't handle what the normal process is revealed to you that there's an extra challenge in that mm-hmm. yeah because I'd, I'd just comment on that just by saying that you know mental health is not often visible is it mm. there's no often there's no um physical issue that's present that you can see with your eyes and so it's what's going on behind and and that's where the difficulties lie and you know with a lack of capacity it's often the inability to retain the information and and you know going back to what Tracy just said about the you know being repetitive or maybe sticking to a particular issue that they can't overcome and that comes down to the lack of understanding or their inability to be able to process and, and you know for a number of different reasons so it does become very difficult and I think the complexities around planning sometimes and the time frames and everything mm. else that's involved with it really do impact individuals no matter you know no matter what the status of their mental health is mm. it is very difficult to um uh, and in, and it's a really important part of one's task as a as a lawyer to be able to equip yourself with with the with the ability to to explain clearly even if you know you're dealing with someone who who may not be able to absorb that information uh, and uh, it is 
it's really hard, um, <laughs> um, uh, especially if you're, it, it, it's, it may be, um, and I have no doubt, it, it, it would be different for for practitioners such as Joe and, and Joanne and, and, and Rachel, who who do deal with with clients who have mental health issues and but but adapting one's um, approach to well individuals whether they have any form of, of particularly identifiable mental health issue or indeed any health issue it's really important to be able to to first to be able to explain and 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 not to yourself feel defeated by the by being by not being able to explain properly enough to somebody who who may not be able to to retain the information um but you have to try it, it is a it is a it is actually the 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 most difficult part of the process is actually explaining to your client who who may have a, a, a mental health issue what is going on um uh, and it may be that joe and rachel have better insights uh, as to how one might do that well, I don't. I don't know that I have any um, particular helpful insights. But I was just going to say, you know, I think this is a challenge, um, not just for individual practitioners, but also, you know, for the planning system generally, because there's an issue about obviously ensuring clients understand and um, can take on board advice, can can weigh it up and and um, give their agreement to it. But for the planning system, ensuring. Um, the participation of of vulnerable people or people with mental health issues um, is also an important thing. And it may be that there are times when uh, adjustments have to be made, um, adaptations are necessary, because otherwise um, what is intended as an importantly so, a a public process, Mm. ends up being exclusionary. And when you're in um, high court contexts, well, you know, there are... uh, legal issues in terms of the CPR and the requirement for litigation friend in some circumstances, which the courts also have to grapple with. Um, so it's a, a sort of challenge across the board, I think. I know from from very early experience at the bar where I, I was dealing with the, sort of the criminal, criminal law system and um, that itself actually is far better set up, not surprisingly perhaps, for um, identifying um, you know, clients who have mental health issues, and uh, and the minute that you raise that, either with the, the police, the prosecuting services, or, or indeed the, those representing them, there seems to I, I recall there being a system in, in effect in place to go, okay, this person is vulnerable, and therefore things things happen as a consequence within um, uh, the, the 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 criminal prosecution system. Um, clearly that doesn't happen in in planning it's not like that but i um it would be you know it's interesting to think that perhaps it should <laughs> i don't know what uh, what others think about that I agree completely with Rachel in terms of the planning system and ensuring that the person understands it. As you say, it's not just the the duty of the lawyer, um, but what I find happens, and I've noticed this, you know, even in other experiences outside of the, the professional arena, is that the planning system itself is not perfect. Um, and the client might have a, a, a number of concerns, some of which are legitimate and need need to be addressed and some of which are not legitimate and are a result of their sort of distortion in the way they think about the planning system. So it's it's quite difficult 
uh, number one, if, if your client doesn't know that they have a, 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 a mental problem, actually telling them um, mm. because you're seeing a, you're their lawyer, you're supposed to be on their side and you're telling them something negative and they don't want to hear. And then that can be compounded with when something does go wrong with the planning system, whether it's, it's delay, whether it's just the wrong decision made, you know, the people in the planning systems are, 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 are human, then that sort of um, supports their idea of maybe things like persecution. Mm. So it's, it, it, you know, I'm sure this, you know, in all areas of law, but it can get quite complex in, in, in that respect. Obviously, the Court of Protection uh, is is in is in is is a resource as it were um uh, uh, what uh, i mean i would be interested to know what what rachel and joanne think about the way that the court of protection works and whether you think it does help address the sorts of issues that we've been talking about i mean i'll leave rachel to comment from the i suppose the public law side of things but because I, obviously I'm appointed in capacity as a deputy to assist clients with the management of their property and affairs where they lack capacity to do so in their own right. So I have the legal authority in respect of making decisions on their behalf. Now, when it comes to planning, how that sits, I suppose, is um, in terms of somebody's finances, is we need the planning approval to be able to adapt and extend the property and we use the and obviously the client then funds the cost of that in in terms of um, the actual planning process might be going a little bit off off here on a different tangent but one thing that just came to mind is we we're obviously talking about how we communicate with our clients and how we try to work with them in, in terms of the level of understanding. Now, each of my clients is very individual and they all have very different needs. And the way I communicate with them is very different depending upon what those needs are. And sometimes I can't I can't actually engage with the client because the, the extent of their disabilities and their injuries are so severe that I'm not able to. So therefore I engage with family members or, or you know, or there may be a professional appointment of a case manager and there may be a support team in place. And it depends really who the relevant and appropriate people are. And, and you know, my role often is a lot of handholding as well throughout the whole process. Um, the difficulties that we encounter with the planning process is that at the initial planning application, um, you know, we will often submit um, an application for a fee exemption based upon disability. And you can complete a disability um, declaration in respect of that, which is a self-certification, really, just confirming that you have a disability. We've had various instances through different planning offices where they've been rejected because they've wanted further information and, and they're questioning the validity, sorry, questioning, questioning whether the declaration is valid because they want more evidence. And my clients are extremely distressed if we get such a rejection back, because there's no reason as to why it should be rejected. And particularly more so if the planning officer or the planning team are potentially looking at some plans that maybe don't include a ramp or maybe don't include like a lift because there isn't a physical disability, mm. because actually it's relating to the brain injury and mm -hmm. other needs and sometimes I think it's a lack of understanding within the planning department and, and maybe that's training maybe training is needed and I appreciate that you know the planning team 
um, you know, will we'll be extremely busy. They'll be dealing with so many different applications. You know, they'll be juggling a lot and, you know, they themselves will encounter their own problems. But maybe maybe they have to start with training to understand now, you know, what mental health problems are, what brain injury is. And maybe, maybe that will help to some degree. You know, it's not going to improve everything. It's not going to take away the stress and, you know, um, the difficulties that are encountered. But it w- it's a starting point. Yeah, that that chimes with with some of what I've come across. Um, sorry, Rachel. Well, I wondered what you thought about the court of protection process. <laughs> yeah, I was pondering what you said, Selena, about, um, you know, in crime, the system is perhaps mm. more. Um, familiar with or, or geared towards kind of having a process that kicks in when when issues are identified and of course um, the court of protection is is very much set up um, so that there is a sort of uh, process to follow because uh, it's creature of statute and uh, unless there is a lack of capacity and someone's not able to make a decision for themselves the court of protection has no jurisdiction so it's um, it, it's right there at the very foundation of, of all cases in front of the COP. Um, and so it is um, It is common that there is a question mark about uh, whether somebody truly lacks capacity. Are they, um, in the terms of the Act, are they unable to understand the information relevant to the decision? Are they able to remember it, retain it? Um, and can they use and weigh it? And indeed, whether they can communicate a decision, because in some cases, um, that may not be the case. But the COPPLE obviously applies the principles in the Mental Capacity Act in Section 1, um, key amongst which is firstly that there's a statutory presumption that someone um, does have capacity. It's the, the starting point is that they do and you have to demonstrate that they don't, um, which is obviously an important safeguard in terms of promoting people's autonomy and their ability to make um, decisions for themselves where they are able to do so. And um, following on from that, that someone's not to be treated as not being able to make a decision unless you've taken um, all practical steps to to help them do so. And that that hasn't got anywhere. I think that um, that principle is probably really important in this wider context that we've been talking about in terms of how you know, difficulties in communicating with clients who may be having mental health issues or who may be vulnerable for other reasons um, and, and how to help them understand. And that idea that it's kind of iterative process of trying different ways of communicating the information, breaking it down, seeing if there's another way of getting it across. Um, that's really important. And that sort of process of trying to make adjustments, I think, is probably key um, to supporting clients who might be having these sorts of issues and probably really important as well for local authorities uh, and others involved in planning system to, to take on board um, in terms of if this is raised as an issue that needs to be a, there needs to be a sort of investigation into <coughs> what extent are there these difficulties or, or other difficulties uh, and is it um, an insurmountable problem or are there ways that we can make reasonable adjustments or um, different ways, you know, thinking creatively of getting this information across? Um, is an enforcement procedure the right uh, route to be going down or should we be looking at trying to, um, you know, channel this case in another direction? Um, yeah, so I think it's that that sort of approach, trying to think a bit creatively perhaps. Um, and uh, Joanne, you you mentioned uh, the 
the difficulties that the overstretched local authorities maybe have with grappling with and understanding some of these issues. And, and Rachel, you earlier, you, you mentioned the public sector equality duties. So what, what are the duties that are owed by uh, local planning authorities as public authorities when, when faced uh, with, with people with mental health issues? Well, potentially quite a uh, quite a broad ranging battery of duties come into play. Um, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there, there is the PSCD. Obviously, it's not a duty to achieve an outcome, but it is. You do have to give due consideration to it um, and and to the specified statutory aims. Um, I haven't seen it, but I can imagine that potentially um, a human rights challenge, non discrimination. So Article 14 read with Article 1 of the first protocol, that's that's sort of lurking. I I used to work in um, local government as well. And um, Joanne mentioned the need for training Mm. and you've got that duty and you should be trained in it. I myself have been trained in equalities by a very good friend, it turned out because uh, she was a, a she was the equality officer at, at the council so you do have a, a setup um with this um and of course it goes across the broad range of council duties and you know you've, you've got as i think everybody knows you've got your protected characteristics and then you've got your duties to eliminate discrimination advance equality advance equality of opportunity and build good, good relations between people who have these characteristics and who don't have these characteristics i think the difficulty in planning is that, and as, as, as we all know, it's related to the land. So obviously a planning permission you grant for this house has to be has to make sense from a land and development point of view because the house could be bought by somebody else. So if you mm-hmm. you, you granted planning permission for a, a, a massive extension, which you know wouldn't have been otherwise appropriate apart from somebody's disability um, then the house could be sold tomorrow and the person will still have the 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 advantage of it so I think there might be a sort of I don't know whether you say breaking the chain between planning and public sector equality because public sector is about people planning is about the land um, you see your officer's report there will be a section in the officer's report that says um, about equalities and you see if this impacts anybody's equalities um, and sometimes you know I wouldn't say it's a as a box ticking exercise but maybe it's given less emphasis than other planning considerations um, and and of course as I said sometimes these things aren't um, apparent I mean in the case like, like one that would Joanne would take to the council that should be at the forefront of their thinking but obviously in an enforcement case that's been rolling on for years um, sometimes the council has to pause um, maybe at the instigation uh, of, the, of the person who's got the protector characteristic in this case disability and say we need to regroup and I think Rachel's much better at this than me and probably everybody else. But I think that's what the course require you to do. They don't require you to have actually achieved the advancement of um, opportunity, but they require you to sit and pause and assess how this is going to affect um, uh, somebody. And I think, you know, planning um, departments could do with um that that training not to say they're not having it because I, i'm not a planner but i think they could do with that that training and it, i think it is slightly a shift in thinking um uh, from, from from normal planning issues yeah i think that's a that's a fair point and then there may be perhaps um attention in 
considering you know uh, questions about how you deal with an individual and their difficulties with the planning system and, and questions of sort of planning judgment as it were in terms of what the um, applicable duties are and what the what the relevant considerations are obviously um, if you're uh, dealing with a, a person per se you know in, in themselves you need to avoid actual discrimination against them on the basis of a protected characteristic um, that should be fairly easy to avoid but it is obviously a, a relevant duty um, the public sector equality duty will apply in both cases but it is a duty to um, as Trace puts it sort of regroup and think it's duty to have due regard um, rather than to attain a specified end but it is um, it is important and it does have to be you know fulfilled properly in spirit um, and you do have to actually think about it um, and then that that may affect either your relation you know decisions affecting an individual or um, planning decisions being taken more broadly which is why uh, as Tracy rightly says it, it, it there is an equality impacts um, section in planning uh, planning forms um, and it's something that officers should be having regard to. Um, and then, yes, again, you know, there is potential. Um, you are, as a public authority, you are going to be bound by the Human Rights Act. So there may be implications on that. Um, Article 1, Protocol 1 is, is engaged by some planning decisions as in theory as Article 8 at times. Um, right to enjoyment of private life, private and family life. Um, so it's not it's not by any means an easy sort of legal landscape mm. to pick through. Um, it, although it is, you know, it, the, the courts are interested in substance and not form, um, and will be more interested to see that people have had these thought, you know, been thinking about these matters and been um, giving them proper regards. However, it happens to be to be expressed so it may sound like a lot but in, in practice it may not be as onerous um, as if we're perhaps making it sound. I think that, that what's striking is is especially or particularly with mental health issues maybe perhaps not so much with the clients that Joanne has to deal with because clearly that there has a there's been a, a reason to be able to identify that that there are uh, that, that the client that you're dealing with has mental health issues but but uh, across the you know the wide range of, of people that one deals with it's not always as we were saying it's not always obvious that there is a mental health mm. issue and and that um, it may be that it's only very much later in the day when you are able to identify and, and you need to identify that mental health issue and that that the person actually in effect um, warrants that protection and thereafter we also have duties ourselves as as practitioners and lawyers to to act on that and i think that's what um for, for me was in, in dealing with these matters was what was was so striking and and to, to be aware of that that something that a case can rumble on for a while and for it not to be appreciated, the person you're dealing with actually has a mental health issue. Uh, uh, and, and thereafter, and it's part of what Rachel was also saying about the um, uh, the court of protection approaches things and, and the capacity to litigate, is that even if somebody does have a mental health issue, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't have capacity. Hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's in that kind of 
uh, um, arena <laughs> or, or, or set of, uh, of, of circumstances that um, it becomes, I think, particularly difficult, but, but also to, to actually be able to navigate that is um, is really important. Um, and it's really important to know that you can. Mm. You can. <laughs> and just finally, uh, to wrap things up, uh, are there any other ways uh, in which you think that the planning system could and should be improved in order to be better equipped uh, to deal with uh, people with mental health issues? Um, one one comment that I'd make, which puts, I think, the uh, planning office in, in a more positive light, <laughs> is that um, when we um, embark on our uh, projects for our clients, these building projects in relation to adapting and extending their home, um, often we'll do a pre-planning um, inquiry with the local authority first. And depending upon the officer that you end up dealing with, often that can be quite a positive experience. Mm -hmm. And it gives you guidance then as to the potential, the, you know, the potential for approval or maybe some tweaks to the project that might be needed, which actually then helps in terms of managing the client's expectations and managing mm -hmm. through the process. But it doesn't always work out that way. But from my experience, we've had some very positive interactions and um, we're very fortunate that we will instruct very experienced architects to assist our clients who who have a particular um, expertise in working with individuals with brain injuries or disabilities. And mm -hmm. so they understand the requirements and and also understand have a better way of engaging with our clients as well in terms of trying to explain the process. So we're very fortunate that we work with these individuals. Um, but yes, it is. It's complex. It's it 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 can be very frustrating at times. Mm -hmm. um, when we've had to go through an appeal in respect to a planning decision, um, you know that often will demonstrate a lack of understanding, even more so around brain injury, and um, and an individual's needs. Um, and we've had to do a lot of work in respect of that, which I would then hope for other cases that then potentially go through that planning office, that they would learn from that experience because of the information we've provided and how we've explained why this in, why, why my client has, um, you know, special circumstances that they should take into account to allow and permit the planning that we've put in front of them. So I do really hope that that does provide a degree of education to an extent. I mean, I would say flexibility. Um, and I think going back to what Joanne says, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, obviously the planning offices all across the country are, are staffed with sensitive people who will appreciate um, things. But I think um, somebody else might say you know, something more concrete to um, add to the planning system. But I would say, I suppose, flexibility, especially in the area of enforcement. Enforcement is something that can run away quite quickly with you. You get your enforcement notice and within you've got 28 days to appeal. And it's quite a technical um, area of planning law. Um, and then you know, you know, it, it can get quite technical and quite closer to sort of things like the criminal system than other parts of planning. So flexibility is a good um, um, one. And I know that there's a barrister in Selena's um, chambers who's specialising and focusing on planning mediation. Um, and that might, with the assistance of other 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 organisations, even the county council, adult social services, that might you know sort of bring about flexibility while, instead of going down the sort of enforcement route. 
Yes, I think that the general awareness um, within planning authorities about the potential to have to deal with somebody who genuinely has direct problems that that um, that that mean that the planning system is is in effect not necessarily set up in the normal way to deal with them and and and, and, you know, and as Tracy said flexibility awareness and flexibility um, because it doesn't mean that the the planning issues can't be resolved as well it's not that this is a sort of carte blanche uh, for for those who have mental health issues to 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 not have to deal with the planning system it's just how the planning system deals with them um, and I think that's it's pretty fundamental um, to, that, that that can happen as part of you know as part of a public law system mm. um, Rachel I don't know what your thoughts are no I would do I agree with everything everyone said um, I think that's awareness and flexibility uh, are the way forward and an and awareness that um, although you might not have encountered these issues before uh, they do crop up and I think in fairness you know uh, many people uh, understand that and I'd say there is kind of increasing awareness that um, you know, mental health and mental health issues aren't something which only um, confined to the court of protection as it were and, yeah. and grappled with in other parts of, of not just the planning system but the civil justice system in general I think there are things are moving in the right direction. Well, that's that's good to hear, and uh, it sounds like a sort of greater understanding overall is 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 uh, the most important thing, and what what we need uh, to move forward. And then hopefully, uh, this this podcast will will help um, spread some of that awareness. Uh, that you've all identified as being uh, very important. So many thanks um, to all four of you for joining me today to discuss uh, this very important topic. Uh, And for those of you at home, you have been listening to the EG Property Podcast.